Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to open uh, the word to Psalms 23. If you want to find it in the Bible ahead of you, I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be on the screen this morning, but hopefully we're rolling. Uh, Psalm 23, we'll be reading the whole chapter. starts, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reading of God's word. Many of David's psalms are full of complaints, including last week's sermon where Graham read, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This one, however, is full of comfort, the delight in God's goodness and dependence upon him. It is a psalm which has provided assurance to Christians and will continue as long as the world stands. Why did I get this passage? There are a few passages in scripture that people know more of than Psalm 23. Uh, next to John 3.16, Matthew 6.33, Romans 8.28, or Jeremiah 29.11, according to ask.com. And I'm certain you have your own favorites in there that you could throw in. But it is certainly one of the most popular, and almost everyone has heard of Psalms 23. If you've ever been to a funeral in a church, the words, the Lord helps me to rest in green pastures, leads me by still waters, and restores my soul is more than familiar to you. So many of us have been comforted by this message. In this day and age where you have the opportunity to fill your mind with so much drivel and garbage, to be able to read the words, the Lord, the God of the universe, cares for you like a shepherd, is so reassuring. Henry Ward Beecher cited this. It, Psalms 23, has charmed more griefs to rest than all of the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. And like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those who with loved ones dying were left behind mourning, not so much that the loved one was gone, but more because they were left behind and could not go also. 
There is a comfort that can come from reading scripture like this, as Beecher describes, that goes beyond what the words simply read. It is the author of the word of God who speaks through the earthly writers and breaks through to our inner being. As we dig into the verses today, I trust that there will be some part of comfort to each of you as you read it too. It starts out with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now some of you are aware that I was once a shepherd from my sheep and goats sermon a few years ago, if, if you stayed awake through that one. And um, my memory of being a shepherd is marred by North American shepherding. So we, we would take the sheep out for a couple hours in the morning, and we'd take them out for a couple hours in the afternoon, and then put them back in their pen. And this was not always the easiest task for a 10-year-old, 100-pound boy wielding his fine rod and staff made out of trees from the fallen, fallen down from the woods nearby. And uh, as you can imagine, sometimes sheep don't want to go back into their pen when it's time. And um, so after I had managed to get them in, the last thing on my mind was how much I loved and cared for them, I can tell you that. Um, I was simply doing a job more like mowing the lawn or cleaning my room, a task to be completed, not a caring relationship like it's described here. In John 10, 12 to 13, we see more closely what I was doing. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And you can rest assured that all 100 pounds of me would have left those sheep for any hungry wolf that had come running. But that's not the shepherd David describes in this psalm. The shepherd identified here is like John 10, 14 to 15, where it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Here John, describing Jesus as the good shepherd, is in direct contradiction to the hired hand who cares nothing for the sheep. Now David, although he likely wrote Psalm 23 while he was king, would have fondly remembered his job as a shepherd back on the family farm. It would have been his sole responsibility to protect and care for the sheep. He would have stayed with them all the time and would be directly relating his loving, caring, caretaking of the sheep to how the Lord cared for him. And if you remember, David specifically listed ways he protected his sheep while he was in that role as the, with the family. When the Philistine army was mocking the Israelite army with their hero Goliath standing in front of them, we read in the conversation between David and King Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 36, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's relating it to his own life and how when he was a shepherd, he would have laid down his life for the sheep in which he was in charge. The comfort of knowing the great shepherd would lay down his life to protect you should do exactly what verse 1 describes. 
And we have the knowledge of what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus literally laid down his life for the lost sinners of this world. He goes on in verses 2 and 3. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In a quote from Philip Keller, Sheep do not lie down easily and will not unless four conditions are met. Because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they're social animals, they will not lie down if there's friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. So they, they really are terrible. <laughs> but basically, we as sheep need the good shepherd to give us comfort, assurance, and rest. And in verses 2 to 3, we get the ultimate description of what that looks like. Imagine with me the comfort of a green pasture, calm water, and a restored soul. We live in a world where this seems almost unachievable. There's just so many worries and concerns about this happening overseas and this happening at home, this happening in my family, that we fail to focus on Christ and the peace that he brings. I believe a lot of that comes from spending too much time on our devices, social media, spending too much energy trying to do it all ourselves, all the while spending too little time focusing on scripture, meditating on the word, and focused time in prayer. God will not give us the peace described here if we are not spending time with him. And as it's said in John 10, just like the good shepherd knows the sheep, the sheep know him. This knowledge gives comfort, peace, and a restored soul. Spurgeon said, before a man can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, he must first feel himself to be a sheep by nature, for he cannot know that sheep he cannot know that sheep is his shepherd unless he feels in and of himself that he has the nature of a sheep. He must relate to a sheep in its foolishness, its dependency, and its warped nature of its will. And as this need seems to come at the end of ourselves, where we finally decide, not in just some outward acknowledgement, but deep in our hearts that we cannot do it ourselves, and that we are just as reliant on God as a sheep is for the shepherd. As we move on in this passage, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I grew up in the 90s, and we used to go out and buy soundtracks from movies. Uh, so what would happen is you'd watch a movie, Phil, you'd watch this movie, and uh, there would be a song or two on a movie that you liked, and so then you'd go out and buy the soundtrack on CD and you would get the couple songs that you liked from the movie and, uh, and a bunch of other junk as well and you paid for all of it. CDs are what we listened to before you had every song you wanted on your phone. You know. And uh, I, I remember this, this one movie, it was called Dangerous Minds, it had uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and I don't remember everything about the movie but I do remember there was this one song on it from Coolio, um, and it was like, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and if you just finish that line, you also grew up in the 90s, but <laughs> it, it, was, it was very, very popular. Everybody knew it, and you bought this whole soundtrack just, just for that one song, but at the time, I had no idea, and I was surprised to learn that it was actually a portion of this Psalm 23. And of course, Coolio changed the song to make it rhyme, but here we see 
David indicates he can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here we see again how the great shepherd protects his sheep. Of course, there is a reality that while the shepherd did not necessarily remove the presence of evil, as evil is always around, he did remove the fear of evil. As David was reassured by God's presence, it removed the fear and comforted him. Shepherds use the rod and staff to guide the sheep and protect them from potential predators. The metaphor of God's mighty rod and staff protecting David should bring to your mind an imagery of an omnipotent creator holding back the wolves from the world from attacking you. There's too many times when I think about a conversation with someone where it's instantly turned hostile or violent over some small thing or opinion I have shared. I see it on the news all the time where a right-wing professor is giving a speech on capitalism or fiscal responsibility and violent protesters will start to become aggressive over what he's saying even if he was invited to give the speech. And sadly, I saw it in my own family when someone voiced their opinion on human sexuality and it turned an entire group of kids up against them. And I'm reminded in these circumstances, like it says in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And while it's a terrifying thing to think that we do battle against evil spirits in this world, that we have a shepherd described here as protecting us, that we do not have to fear even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I have to remind myself of this as I watch a government seemingly uncontrolled in their abuse of power, their assertion of left-wing ideologies, and their abysmal treatment of law-abiding gun owners. And I don't want to get deep into this because I know it's a touchy subject, but I think deep in my being comes a sense of if I own enough guns, if the government ever came to take my property, my family, or my life, that I would be able to defend myself. But the fact remains that while some of that may be true, I do not have to fear as I walk through this world because the creator of the universe can wield his rod and staff if it is his will and I would not have to pull even one trigger. And you may ask, where have you seen that before, Peter? Well, I'm glad you did. Let's look at Second Chronicles. King Jehoshaphat was going to war against all the Eites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meunites, just missing the Mennonites. In chapter 20, verse 15, it says, And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. And then later in verse 23, we see, For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came down to the watchtower of the wilderness and looked around at the horde, behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. They didn't have to do the battle. And all they saw were dead bodies. God is the all-powerful ruler of the universe. He conducts things behind the scenes that we cannot see. And if he is on our side, his rod and his staff will protect us. And if we pass from this world, he has given his son to provide us with eternal salvation. We cannot lose when the Lord is our shepherd. Paul says in Philippians 1, 21 to 23, For to me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. God does not always eliminate the risks and hazards of this world. But often when you're going through them, his presence is illuminated. Just as a 40-watt bulb shines brightest in the dark, his presence, although not necessarily physically seen, also shines through our darkest of times. I have noticed in my own times of trials, I became more aware of God's presence. And at these times, I sought more of God and depended on him more than at times of ease. And so when David says he can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, I can take the same comfort and apply it to my own life. As we move on in the passage, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Here we see in the light of all things a banquet prepared for David. The great shepherd has not only protected me from evil, but has not only provided me peace, but now has prepared above and beyond a feast for me. And not just for me, it says, my cup overflows. So I would be able to invite my friends to partake in the abundance. And I would be able to sit and enjoy myself in peace, not in fear or in panic. Typically, when a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, if he eats at all, he ravages his meal with haste and then would have to rush back to the fight. But here it says, you prepare a table. This takes time. It shows deliberate acknowledgement of making it special. It's not typical to complete this task unless there is a peaceful occasion. It depicts a, situa it depicts a situation where nothing is hurried, there is no confusion or disturbance, and even though the enemy is at the door, God prepares a table in peace. I remember going camping maybe 10 years ago with some friends and the in-laws. And uh, as you do, everyone brings out their, their different tray of whatever they've made and they're gonna put it out on the tables. And these can be fairly rustic events if you've ever sat at a picnic table weathered. Uh, there's lots of opportunity to get slivers in your hands or, or get dried bird poop on you or those kind of things. And I remember that uh, we were about to set everything out and my mother-in-law went said, hold on, hold on. And she ran to her trailer and she came out with a couple tablecloths and put them out and clipped them down, you know, so the wind couldn't take them away. And then she said, okay, go ahead and you can set everything out. And we were setting it out. My friend Barry, he leans over to me and he says, your mother-in-law makes everything better. She makes it special. And uh, when I think about that, I think about it, it's, it's as clear as it had just happened. Something as simple as putting out the tablecloths made the event better. It was a better event. I can't explain it, why, why a tablecloth would make it a better event, but it just was. And when I think about this verse, David depicting God preparing a table for him, this is what I imagine. If you were fearful and on edge because your enemies were near, you would never spend the time to prepare a table. This does more than describe that God provides a meal for us, it means he provides peace and rest alongside of it. I also find it interesting that it's in the presence of the enemies. It was often commonplace that after a victory, 
there would be a huge feast, and if kings and kingdoms had been conquered, they would be paraded in front of the royal party, and everyone would be able to celebrate a second time their victory. But I don't see that description shown here. Here it's more, the host's care and concern doesn't eliminate the power and presence of the enemy, but enables the experience of God's goodness and bounty even in their midst. And even if we haven't conquered our enemies, we could still have a banquet in their midst because that is the level of confidence in the shepherd that protects us. This is the level of our God to sustain us. This is the type of peace he provides for us. It does not come at the subject level of everything going our way. It comes with the knowledge that even if things aren't going our way, we can rely on God to provide for us. That's the real peace, a peace that is not controlled by our circumstances. Add to this that in the times it was written to eat and drink at someone's table like this created a bond of mutual loyalty and it could be equivocated to that of a covenant. To be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance of invited for a meal. It's, a symbol, it's symbolic of an invitation to live with him. And I think this is a great segue to the final portion of this passage. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here David confidently counts on God's continued hand of favor upon him. I mean, earlier on he said, I shall not want, but now he's asserting more positively, more comprehensively, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. It's like, of course God will continue to take care of me. Of course he will continue to guide me, feed me, and care for me. He's a perfect shepherd. And as such, it is with confidence that David's hope rises, his faith is strengthened, and his fears cease. And just as a sheep does not sit around worrying that today my shepherd cares for me, but tomorrow, who knows? Who knows? Such is the same for the believer who has put his trust in Jesus, the creator of the universe, the savior of the beaten and the damned, that there is no fear in trusting this same savior for the future as I am right now. And as certain as I am in life, as each new day comes, so shall it be every morning. Just as for years the Israelites learned to rely each and every day on the manna from God, so too David has learned that God is with him every day of his life. And I love that it finishes with, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a promise, what a belief. If this is how you live your life, what fear could be too great to cripple you? I seriously believe there are some Christians who believe there's one life that we live now and then there will be another living in the future, but the two are not joined somehow. That while one ends in death and the other starts in resurrection, the physical aspect of that may be true, but we're fully living right now as a new creation. Spurgeon wrote it like this, While I am here, I will be a child at home with my God. The whole world shall be his house to me, and when I ascend to the upper chamber, I shall not change my company, nor even change the house. I shall only go and dwell in the upper story of the house with the Lord forever. This makes it so clear that we as children of God have already started our path to eternity. We have an earthly portion to be sure, but on this earth we are to be living as in the world, but not of the world. And the blessings and peace that he pours out each day are part of the promise of eternity. 
They should not be considered a separate entity, but more of a reassurance that in the same way the shepherd cares for the sheep, provides them with food, with security, and loves them, he will bring them back home to the fold where they have a room prepared in advance. And as the good shepherd, just as David remembered from his sheep herding youth, stayed with the sheep, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you that we have this blessing, this uh, blessed assurance uh, that you, you look after us. We do not have to worry. And while so many things in this world seem so broken, we see wars, we see divorce, we see the fall of Western civilization as we know it, and we're witnessing all these things that we do not have to be focused on it, that we can go back to your word, we can get assurance, we can get renewed, and we can find peace and hope in you, Lord. And we thank you so much that uh, you are the God of peace and that your desire is to put that into each and every heart of a believer of you, Lord. We want to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.